Welcome to the Cruciform Life Church podcast, featuring the weekly sermons from our Sunday gathering. Please visit us online at www.cruciformlifechurch.org for more information. We started this short series within our series in 1 Timothy last week about a good servant. And last week, we've learned the importance of theology, the importance of theology in the work of a good servant. Now, today, we'll be looking at particularly the pursuit of the good servant, the pursuit of the good servant. Anong napapala mo sa mga ginagawa mo? Have you heard of it? Anong napapala mo dyan sa mga ginagawa mo? You might have said this once in your life, or you might have heard this from your own mother. I, I hear this oftentimes from my mother. And when we hear our mothers saying this one, it is either they're scolding us because uh, nasobrahan na po tayo sa barkada. Ano bang napapala mo dyan? Or, you know, nasobrahan na sa kalalaro ng dota. Or we have been cutting classes and our parents learned of it and they would say, But see, see, these could be applied in life, generally speaking. Ano bang napapala natin sa ginagawa natin or sa pinaggagawa natin? Ano? Ano bang napapala natin sa kaka-Facebook? Ano bang napapala natin sa kaka-YouTube? Ano bang napapala natin dito sa mga bagay na ito? In our passage today, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 to 10, you see, Paul is thinking on what is truly beneficial. Kung ano po bang mapapala po natin? And, and Paul is saying, what can one benefit out of doing everything to be, deprive yourself from food and marriage? No, kung, kung ang spirituality natin nakabase kung, kung ano yung na-deprive po natin sa sarili natin. Paul is saying, what, did you, what do you get out of it? What benefit can you get from these things? On the other hand, what can one benefit out of doing everything to put God at the center of his thoughts, at the center of his heart, and at the center of his life? We entitle our sermon today again, Godliness, the Pursuit of the good servant. Godliness, the pursuit of the good servant. Now, while the philosophy of Gnostics may have gained traction in the church, it is clear that it has gained traction because Paul has to address it. There were people who started to believe that if you want to grow in your spirituality, then you would have to deprive yourself of some things like food and marriage. Buti na lang, Christians tayo, hindi Gnostics, right? Um, our young adults were very happy to know that they can pray for their lifetime partner. Paul told Timothy, though, that it is not even worth a second for our time. Anything that mixes the gospel with anything, Paul said, it is not worth a second of our time. Not worth. 
And he wanted Timothy to spend his time and energy for that which truly matters. And what truly matters, namely godliness. We will learn today that godliness for Paul is the better and more worthwhile pursuit because it holds a promise of life both here and after, and it will surely be completed. Here's my main idea today, our big idea in this sermon. The pursuit of godliness will surely deliver its promise of life and will certainly be completed by God upon those who are pursuing it. I think it brings encouragement. So let me read that again. The pursuit of godliness will surely deliver its promise of life and will certainly be completed by God upon those who are pursuing it. See, this sermon is geared towards persuading us to choose to invest. I'm here today to persuade us and convince us that the investment we have to make with our time and energy is developing our godliness instead of naively increasing in our worldliness. Sometimes we are naive into thinking that, well, the world is not harmful. Everybody does it anyway. It's just how things are done today. But we never realize that we are actually growing in our worldliness. We only have two main points today. First, godliness is the better pursuit because its sure promise of life, because of its sure promise of life, both here and for eternity. Now, for our children in church, you are part of the covenant community, so you are not exempted to listening the sermon. Um, ask your mother when you get home, what does pastor mean when he said the better pursuit? That's your first point, uh, children in the church, the better pursuit. Have you heard that, Santi? The better pursuit. The second point today is godliness is a sure pursuit. Godliness is a sure pursuit because God saved us for this end. So your second phrase, children in the church, ask your mother, ask, oh no, ask your father so that your father would really listen. Ask your father when you get home, what does pastor mean when he said, a sure pursuit? So you have two phrases today, a better pursuit and a sure pursuit. Let's go with the first one. Godliness is the better pursuit because of its sure promise of life, both here and for eternity. Now, let me just very clear as a start. I'm not here to say that we have to be godly so we would have life. Because only Jesus accomplished it. But I'm here to say that we are promised to enjoy more of God. Our life. God is our life. Whom Jesus reconciled us to. We will enjoy that life that Jesus accomplished to us more and more when we grow in our godliness. Those are two different things. We have life. We already have life when we have Jesus, but it's another thing to enjoy that life. When we have that life, it was solely based on our faith in Jesus. 
But to enjoy that life in Christ, we have to grow in our godliness. This is a choice between empty and full. A choice between empty and full. And really, this is not just a choice between spending time in these meets, worldly teachings, or philosophies, and godliness. If you notice later on, it is almost a choice between doing everything to get the things of this world, but without God, and doing everything to live a life centered on God. Now, as the start of this sermon, I hope you would already see the picture. Where am I investing? What am I trying to build on? Am I, am I doing everything to get everything in this world, or am I developing my, God, my godliness? The first one, worldliness, is empty, but the second one, godliness, is full. It is a choice between a full life and an empty life. Which one would you choose? Paul gets into the heart of the matter here in verse 7 to 10, particularly in verse 7 to 9. He seemed to have no sympathy for all these teachings. No sympathy at all. We already learned last week that he even called any teaching, any teaching that mixes the gospel to any worldly philosophies, any teaching that uses the Bible but does not teach Jesus, but teach whatever, health, wealth, prosperity. Paul calls it in verse 2, a teaching of demons. He's not soft in this. A teaching of demons, and then still in verse 2, he says, they are nothing but deceptions. And here in verse 7, he called it a myth. A myth. UBS, United Bible uh, Studies Series, a handbook, defined myth in this way. And let me just read this. It is not simply that the myths referred to made up tales and legends. This is not what Paul meant here. But that these stories have been substituted for the true Christian message. Yung po yung tinatawag ni Paul na myths. Myth is used by Paul then as any teaching opposed to the gospel. Any teaching opposed to the gospel. Paul says it's just blah, blah, blah. It's, it's a myth. Yes, there is no truth in them. But it is not like Ibung Adarna, the myth of Ibung Adarna that does not present a threat to the gospel. That's not what Paul is talking about here. What he's talking about here is it is not just, these are things that has no truth in it, but at the same time it is harmful and detrimental to the faith. Because it is an attempt to put the gospel insufficient to save a sinner. Paul knew what is truly a stake. When you add something to the gospel, Paul knew what was at stake so that when the Judaizers added something to the gospel like circumcision, Paul said, let them be accursed. So don't tell me, at least pastor, itong taong ito uses the Bible. They might be more deceptive. Those who use the Bible but teaches another gospel is more deceptive and detrimental. Joe and Austin use this, the Bible. 
Joseph Prince uses the Bible. Kibuloi uses the Bible. Iglesia Ni Cristo uses the Bible. Jehovah's Witness uses the Bible. And you know what? The LGBTQ community today uses the Bible and say you can be a Christian while practicing homosexuality. And they said it is honoring to God. Every single one of them actually uses the Bible. You see, every teaching that uses the Bible but does not center that to Christ and the sufficiency of His work and person are more dangerous. Paul has nothing good to say about these teachings, has he? No. He said, these meats, look at what he said, these meats are irreverent and silly. Irreverent and silly. That's how he described these things. Irreverent means it has nothing in it that is sacred. It has nothing in it that is honoring to God. Literally, it means godless. Wow. Any teaching po pala na mention lang si name ni Christ, pero added something to the sufficiency of Christ, Paul said, there is no respect to God in that teaching. It's a myth. It's irreverent. It has no respect to God at all. On the other hand, silly. I believe in po silly. Silly means these are the things. These are the things that old woman who have nothing to do in life came up with. Apparently at that time, naging emblem po yung mga old women. Na dahil wala na po silang magawa sa buhay, hindi naman po sila pwedeng magtrabaho. And so usap lang po sila ng usap, parang kwentong barbero at our time today. Yung mga marites at that time, mga ano yun, mga senior citizens. And our, our senior citizen in church are godly. Hindi po kayo yun. Pero we get the point. Silly meaning, wala po itong kabuluhan. Parang kwentong barbero na wala naman pong katotohanan. Mga tipong usapan na yung lolo ko. Diba, mas magaling yung lolo ko. Nakita mo lang lolo ko. Walang patutunguhan yun. Walang punto yun. Eh. It is nonsense. This is Paul says here, it's silly. It does not matter if you mention Jesus in your preaching, if you add something to what Christ has accomplished, it is nonsense. It is no sense at all. It is nonsense. I have no respect whatsoever. Do you sense how Paul's hearts are Paul's heart towards any teaching that mixes up the gospel with anything here? He just did not have any respect at all on these teachings. So look at what Paul said. For him, it is not worth a second of your time. Can you sense it? He said, have nothing. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly meats. Talking about the same thing. In 2 Timothy 2.23, Paul also said, have nothing to do with foolish Ignorant controversies. It is a waste of time. Have nothing. Para lang sinasabi ni Paul, buti pa matulog ka na lang. Ay ganyan siya ka pang ano, muta. Sa Tagalog yan. 
But if you waste your time listening to these things, you don't get anything. And maybe there are still who will reason out and say, Pastor, masarap sa pakiramdam na pakikinggan kay si Joel Austin, masarap sa feeling. Si Joel Austin, si Joyce Mayer, Joseph Prince. Kaya naman po yung napakagandang pakinggan pastor, yung mga how-to na this is step one, step two, step three. Parang ang, ang lakas ko, kaya kong gawin ito. Just do the step one, step two, step three. And then you go home without even hearing the name of Jesus. Or the preaching is not, Jesus is relegated to the periphery and Jesus is not really the subject of the preaching. Paul says, wag mong pag-aksayahan ng buhay. Yung oras yan, masisira lang buhay mo. Instead of wasting our time with this irreverent silly meets, Paul said, rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. Do you see what Paul is doing here? After saying the false teaching has no value at all, he then said that godliness has all the value. It is all the value. You see that? We may ask, why should we train ourselves for godliness? Why should we spend our time and our strength to developing godliness in our time? Well, there are three important questions to ask here as we delve into verses 8 to 9, 7 to 8. What is godliness? What is the value of godliness? And thirdly, how can we train ourselves for godliness? That would guide me into the rest of point number one. What is godliness? What is the value of godliness? And how can we truly, or how can we train ourselves for godliness? Now, godliness is used by Paul here in contrast to the godless meats. Remember, he already said irreverent meats. That's godless. Instead of Spending your time with godless things, spend your time developing godliness. So if irreverence means God is not in the picture, godliness means living in fear of God. Godliness means living with God at the center of your life. Godliness means doing everything, magpapadedi ka ng anak mo, magpapa, uh, ano ba? Sinisigawan mo yung asawa mo, hindi, joke. Um, Everything we do, we do in the presence of God. We do it to live, to honor God. It means living before the presence of the Lord. This is what godliness is all about. It is for this reason that many scholars link this word godliness to the fruit of of the Spirit. And it is because when one is focused on God, then the Spirit works to produce what Paul called the fruits of the Spirit. An early 20th century British theologian, J.N.D. Kelly, commented, True Christianity consists rather in ever-renewed submission to the control of the Spirit with cheerful acceptance of toil and suffering and the practice of those virtues which are the fruit of the Spirit. 
Now, godliness is focusing on God, producing Christian virtues in them through the power and control of the Holy Spirit. That's what J.N.D. Kelly is saying. It is focusing on God, and as we focus on the Lord, Christian virtues will be produced by the Holy Spirit. And we cannot separate these things. We talk about godliness. We cannot say that we are focusing on God. I'm so godly, Pastor. You know, in, in the early morning, I right away focused myself on God. And you know what? I was just sitting the whole day focusing on God. You're trying to marry God, focusing on God and slothfulness? No, hindi ka nag-think lang sa Panginoon the whole day. Ang tawag doon, chill-chill lang. You know? It's slothfulness. We cannot say we are focusing on God and we slothfully, lustfully, greedily, materialistically, sinfully living our lives. It just denies our godliness. If at the center of our thought is really God, which godliness means, then you can expect the Holy Spirit to produce in us a righteous life. So in those times that you were really focused on God, what are the things that you see in your life? On the other hand, on those times that you were filled with worldly things, your mind is filled with worldly things, what were the things that we see in our lives? What we feel our mind determines how we live our lives. We can look at how, how we live our lives and ask, is God at the center of my thoughts all the time? Is God the center of my thoughts all the time? Am I meditating His Word? A life centered on God is the life that Paul said we have to train ourselves to be. As Christians, we should see that growth in us. We should be able to see that, that before it is so hard to think of God. I only think of in 15 minutes, my first 15 minutes of the day, and the rest of the day, I just think of other things. But as you were growing, you should be able to see how, how you fight to fill your thoughts with God's word. For Paul, Timothy, and every Christian, for this matter, should learn how to live life conscious. Conscious that we're living before the presence of God. Now, here's a very good passage that somehow describes what I've been saying. Colossians 3, 22 to 24, just very quickly. Colossians 3, 22 to 24. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So you're not just doing it because your manager is there. You're not just doing it because someone is there looking at you, but with sincerity of the heart. Look at this, fearing the Lord, centering on God, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. I think this is what godliness is here. You are serving the Lord Christ. 
You are serving the Lord Christ. This is what godliness is all about. Whatever we do, we should know that we are living in the presence of God. The crazy is that I hope that when I do right things, I am, I'm living in the presence of God. But when I do sinful things, I hope I'm not living in the presence of God. No, you are still living in the presence of God. It changes everything when you think we are living in the presence of God. So are we seeking to, le- to develop this kind of life? Are you putting on the work every day? I want to I have this life. When I'm driving and people will, drivers will cut me, am I setting my eyes on God? When I'm driving, I'm try, am I trying to please God by doing the right thing? Or I don't care about other drivers. I just want to get there wherever I want to go as fast as I can. Why should I seek to live the life for God when I can choose to live it in another way? We might ask, well, Paul anticipated this question. He reasoned to present the pursuit of godliness as the most logical and practical pursuit. Well, this is not something like, this is for the elite. I don't see that need for my life. Paul said, no, this is the most logical and practical pursuit. Look at verse 8. He said, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Some said that Paul was simply making a comparison between an athlete who will put in the work, which surely benefited them physically, and the benefit of those who put in the work to develop godliness, which does not only benefit them spiritually here, but on the life to come. I don't think it is the only thing that Paul did here. Surely Paul had in mind the training of the athletes in the gymnasium. Because Paul wanted us to see, he wanted to picture how much effort we need to put. And at that time, if you want to encourage the church to put in the work, there is no better illustration but the athletes and the gymnasium. So Paul used that. However, while he is using the picture of the athlete in training, He was not simply comparing a Christian who is developing his godliness to that of an athlete. What Paul is doing here is he is comparing the work put in by these Gnostics slash ascetics slash legalists. These people who put in the work as added to the gospel. Added to the gospel. This is what Paul is doing here. As Paul admitted that there might be some value to it, maybe for health purposes. Diba? Di ka kakain. E di nawala na yung uh, belly. Oh, sexy ka na ulit. Pag hindi ka na kumakain, sabi nila, you know, yung mga toxic, ay eh, ilalabas ng katawan mo. Kung hindi ka nakakain, e eh di ma- mas may savings ka. Paul did not deny that there might be some practical benefits, but he said, when it comes to spiritual things, these things are spiritually bankrupt. You don't get anything from these things. 
Remember when Paul said, you know, in, in his previous, previous, uh, religion, he said he put in everything. He said as far as righteousness, he said blameless. Blameless. He did everything. But remember what Paul said? Whatever gain I get from this, maybe reputation or, or, or physical benefit. He said, whatever benefit, he said, they, I lose them all for the sake of knowing Christ. Because he said, only the righteousness of Christ has given me the right to stand before God. Contrary to what these Gnostics were teaching, that if you divide, deprive yourself enough, you will enter into a high spiritual realm. Paul said, it has no value at all. However, when you talk about godliness, it has all the value. Paul said, godliness has value in every way. Well, we can appreciate that if we change the word every way to complete Godliness has complete value. And let's talk about why Paul said godliness has complete value. Well, one, it holds a promise both here and after. A benefit may not be that good if you're said, well, just suffer now because anyway, you'll be paid later. But today you will not enjoy this. Parang naano, no? So future, papala yun. Hindi ko papala ma-enjoy yun kahit papaano today. But it's also not that good when, when you are told, well, you will enjoy today, meaning temporal, but when you die, that's it. What is really good is that which benefits us both here and forevermore. So Paul said this is complete because godliness brings blessing to your life, not only here, but the life to come. What then is that godliness allows the godly to enjoy? I like this. Because if godliness would just allow me prosperity, I've tasted prosperity. They're empty without God. I've tried having no problem, but I was not that intimate with God. I was empty during those those times. What is it that godliness allows us to enjoy then. The godly, those who live their lives on the, before the Lord, will experience the eternal life that Jesus has purchased for them. As I've said earlier, it is one thing to have life. But Jesus did not say, I came to have, give you life. What did he say? I came to give you life and have it abundantly. Enjoy it. Isn't it like I just have my life for so long as I have my life, although I'm not enjoying it. It's okay, I have life. That's not what Jesus said. He said, I came to give you life and have it abundantly. Do not mistake eternal life with afterlife. Eternal life is not afterlife. So that you will guess if you have eternal life, if you will know that you have eternal life when you die. 
But eternal life is not after life. Eternal life is what we have in Christ. Jesus is clear, and this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life does not mean the length of life. Eternal life means a quality of life. And do not think like this is just a higher quality wherein malapit na yung binigay sa akin ng relationship, earthly relationship ko. Magkalapit na doon. When it says eternal life, it says it's just a different life. You cannot compare it with your joy when you got your salary. When you, you cannot compare it with your joy when you, when you got your first job. You cannot compare it with your joy when you graduated in college. This life, this joy is not, is just different from any kind of joy that the world gives. It means the life of God in us. Eternal life means the life of God in us. Elsewhere, the same John that, that, that said eternal life is knowing Jesus also said, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Eternal life is experiencing Him whom our souls are created for. It is experiencing Him whom our souls are created for and thus truly need, namely, God. God, our life, through the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. We have God in us now. We have God in us when we came to know Christ. But are you enjoying that life? Are you enjoying intimacy with God? Can you say, are you saying with, with David that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Remember what the writer of the book of Hebrews exhorted us. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, the writer of the book of Hebrews says, Strive for peace with everyone. That sounds like godliness. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, without godliness, without love in our hearts. When we read the Bible, it is as lifeless when we read our magazine. And the reason for that is not because there's no life in the Word of God. The reason for that is without holiness. We cannot see the beauty of God in His Word. And I want to emphasize of that because we said, I live in godliness and we take away the picture of God's Word. We're just hoping we experience God, I don't know, in a very mystical way. But that might not be what the writer of the book of Hebrews is thinking. He's saying when we live in holiness, God will bring us deeper into his beauty in the scripture. To enjoy more of the light of the Lord, which is what life is, 
We have to live a life separated for God. We need to strive to live in godliness because Jesus did not only come to give us that life, but to enjoy it. See, in the beauty of this life that we are already enjoying every time we walk with God is that not only that it will not end, but it only promised, it only promised full enjoyment of it when we live this body. If what thrills us today is that intimacy of God where we understand what life is, we'll get to be excited when we join God, when God will take away sin and there's nothing will hinder us from enjoying God fully. You see why it is a choice between empty and full? This is, sometimes we do not know what we give up. When we open our Facebook, when we open the Reels, when we open our TikToks, when we watch Netflix, and we tolerate things that we are not supposed to be tolerating, we just don't know what we give up. Why then would you spend your time, your energy and time? Or sorry, where then would you spend your energy and time? Listen to what Paul said. Train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. See, Paul living in such a Greek world. Do you know that our Olympics today might have its roots from the Greeks? They love competition. And they have influenced us even today. It came from them. And that was the world that Paul was, was at the time. So he knew exactly if he would use something to tell Christians about the kind of work they should put in to develop godliness, he would always borrow from athletics. Philippians 2, verse 12 to 13, he even used the word, work out your salvation. But I like 1 Corinthians 7, 24 to 27. Here's what Paul said. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize, so that you may obtain it? Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it with a perishable wreath, but we are an imperishable. But we, an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box one as one beating the air. And here's where I want us to focus. But I discipline my body. It sounds like, pagising mo sa umaga, kung inaanto ka pa, don't follow your body. Let your body follow you. Keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be dis- I myself should be disqualified. 
He said, don't just follow your own desires. Beat your body. You will feel the desire, the urge to sloth. Don't follow your body. You will feel like in the morning, you will just pick up your thoughts before you slept. And the last thought that you had in mind before you slept is your post last evening. And when you wake up in the morning, it's the first thing that comes into your mind. It's so good to indulge in Facebook. Don't follow your body. Beat it. Let it obey the Lord. When Paul said, train yourself for godliness, he was not talking about an easy, comfortable, complacent pursuit that has no intention to really hit the aim. Many Christians, we know that we have been living without aim at all. We were lawless, but when we became Christian, the law was placed again in our hearts. But many times, we once again live like there is no law, like there is, we are not obeying anything. We are our own law. Paul said, no, 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 you have to develop it like an athlete. Develop, beat your body. Kobe Bryant, they said, one, he, they said once he, he told their staff to meet him at the gym at 4 a.m. because he will have his practice. And this staff went there earlier than 4 because Kobe Bryant has the reputation of being a, a, a competition maniac. You know, he would really beat himself. He does not want to be beaten by anyone. So he went there before 4 a.m. only to find Kobe Bryant drenched with sweat. Because Kobe Bryant was there since midnight. This is the picture where Paul says, train yourself. This is not complacency. Nantok ako, tulog na muna. Paul is not talking about lazy pursuit, but an athlete-like pursuit of godliness where Timothy would have to put in the time and energy. And it is no wonder if you look at verse 10, he said, we labor and toil. Sorry, we toil and strive. That's what we find here. I think we have painted a good picture of how pursuit of godliness should look like. And it is not like one in a vacation. Nakabakasyon tayo ngayon. Wala namang magagawa. Reading-reading na muna. Coffee-coffee ng konti. You know? Basta na lang kasi grabe, walang magagawa. I'm on a vacation. This is not the picture. At the heart of this pursuit of godliness is our discipline to be consistent in our spiritual disciplines. It is the work we put in reading God's word. It is the work we put in praying together. And it continues to grieve my heart that you're not showing up in the prayer meeting. It is the work we put in in evangelism, especially Paul said here that all peoples, Especially those who believe. Uh, we will talk about that. But th- there's a picture of a kingdom here that God is establishing. And the subject of his kingdom is all peoples, meaning all nations, 
There are people that God called who will believe in the gospel of Christ. He is establishing his kingdom and he is the subject of the kingdom who doesn't even care of the kingdom. What happens if we take away the picture of the kingdom? We live our lives, we have our own struggles, and we want God to bless our struggle, but you are actually building your own kingdom. We are making God our supporter. No, He is making His kingdom. And He wants us to be disciplined in evangelizing. He wants us to be disciplined in serving. He wants us to be disciplined in our charity. He wants us to be disciplined in obeying all His commands. Paul is like saying, like an athlete, put in the work. That's why He said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I was told once by a very close friend, actually my best friend, who grew up with me from kindergarten to high school to college. And then we find ourselves later on when he was already a doctor and we were uh, having coffee and he said, so how do you, can I see a picture of your life? And I said, I wake up in the morning and the first two hours of my day, I spend it to the Lord. And he said, what? What a waste. Just pray for 15 minutes and be fruitful for the next one hour and 45. He finds it a waste of time to spend your first two hours of the day developing your godliness in God. Do you find it a waste of time? When you go out to bless a brother, when you go out to help someone, do you find it a waste of time? When we give because someone needs us to give to them, do we find it a waste of money? Well, this is what Paul said, put in the work because this will develop your godliness. It is never a waste of time. It is never a waste of energy. It is never a waste of money. Because what I'll enjoy is greater than anything I could get from this world. In fact, it is not a waste of time. It is the best use of our time. And Paul, knowing that you might rest, reason with him, no, Paul, it's a waste of time. Paul said in verse 9, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. He said, you can trust me on this. That the best way to use your time is to train yourself for godliness. Godliness is not just one of the things we do in life. It is the very thing we seek to develop in life because it is the foundation of all God-honoring things that we do in life and experience intimacy with God. I think that's tragic. Jesus purchased the life. So you might have life. And then you put that life in the shelf. Because you will enjoy it when you leave this earth. And that life is just on the shelf all the time. When it is supposed to be for you to enjoy. Secondly, I am afraid I would not finish my sermon today. Secondly, godliness is a sure pursuit. It is a sure pursuit because God saved us for this end. 
There are things in life we fail because we have always been doubtful if it will work. I am a basketball player, but I never believed 100% that I can be a basketball player. There was always a reservation. And that's why when, when there's an exam and there's a game coming, I will choose between studying or practicing. I will choose many times studying. Because I've never given my heart fully and believing that basketball can work for me. Well, if we are doubting, we could not put in our work. And Paul says here, no, for this one, you don't have to be doubtful. Put in all the investment. This is a sure win. You will never lose on this. Look at what he said in verse 10. For to this end, meaning godliness, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. We set our hope of godliness on the living God because it is His promise. And thus, what He started and will complete in us in the day of Christ Jesus, Philippians 1.9. What we are talking here in verse 10 is the certainty of the pursuit of godliness. And Paul doesn't want us to think that this is a gamble. This is just a try. Paul said, it is a sure thing. So what makes godliness a sure pursuit? You will never fail. You will never be disappointed on this. This will never frustrate you if you enroll yourself in the pursuit as a Christian, by the way, in the pursuit of godliness. This will not disappoint you. Some thought at the end that the end that Paul meant here is the end of evangelizing all people. But it is clear that Paul is not living just yet his exhortation of pursuing godliness. He is still talking about godliness as our toil and strife. However, he is giving another reason to work for godliness. That is, this hope of godliness is a work of God. Godliness is a work of God at the end of the day. First, for us to set our hope of godliness on the living God, it means the hope, this is the hope that God gave us. As always, God is never our servant to work for what we want. God is always our king. He wants us to yield to his will because he only works to carry out his will. Romans 8, 28 to 29 is clear on this. Do you know what the Father is doing towards Christians? Do you know what the Father is doing towards those who love God? And you don't have to second guess. Paul said, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. That's why your business will succeed because all things work together for your good. That's why your relationship will succeed because all things work together for your good. No, he said, for those who are called according to his purpose, this good has something to do with a purpose. And what is the purpose? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that Jesus is the prototype among many brothers. He said, God works this one. To make you like Jesus. 
So God does not work everything for what we think is good for us. He works out everything for the good that he knows is best for us. That is, to conform us to the image of his son. Second, no one else will accomplish the hope of godliness that God gives us, but he himself. That's why he worked all things together for that end. In Colossians 2, 12, 23 as well, 2, 13, sorry, it is his will for us. For it is him who gives both to will and to act according to his good pleasure. And thirdly, God will accomplish this hope of godliness to all who believe from all nations. Look at what Paul said again. Because we have set our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Now, if you are here and you're confused with that, when every time with Paul it says, for all people, understand where Paul is coming. In all the scripture, the story is this. The, the Jews thought that it's just them, it's just them. But as the Bible progresses, it enters to the time where the families of all nations, the families of the nations will now be part. So when Paul says all peoples, what he meant by that is no longer just Jews, but every nation. But not all nations. He said, especially those who believe. So what Paul is saying is God will accomplish this godliness from in the lives of all peoples. In other words, peoples from all nations. Who believe? In other words, believers from all nations. God will accomplish it. To put it this way, Paul says, And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So if godliness will surely be completed, we should pursue it with all our heart. Because this is a sure thing. Sumusugal ka nga sa isang bagay na walang sigura, kasiguraduhan eh. Iniinvisan mo nga ng oras at, at pera at yung mga bagay na hindi ka sure na talagang mag-prosper. If we understand and if you believe in your heart and Christians should believe it in your heart that this work of godliness will be completed, then you pursue it with all your heart. Pursue it without hesitation. Because it is Sure, it is one of the surest things for every Christian. We should not let our discouragements due to failure or even sin to soften our pursuit of godliness. You will fail. I will fail. But it does not tell us stop pursuing godliness. Let us not let our weakness make us doubt that if we can, if we can grow in godliness. Because this is not your work. This is the work of the Lord. Let us not be entangled by the things of this world and sin so that we slow down in the race marked out for us. Let us all fix our eyes on Jesus, which is where we can truly show reverence to God, thus the essence of true godliness, and run towards becoming godly. Let us, for, let us forget what lies behind. And strain forward to what lies ahead. Let us press on towards the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Namely, knowing Christ and becoming like Him. Let us not 
Let anything in this world stop us from pursuing godliness. You are saved for it. Jesus paid his blood for it. My dear brother, my dear sister, I know you might be discouraged because you just fell. But God, but hey, God will finish what he has started in you. Just move forward. You will overcome that sin, brother. I'll assure you. You will overcome that weakness, brother. You will grow in godliness. We will grow in humility. Because our God is good. And he will accomplish what he has promised us. The pursuit of godliness will surely develop, deliver its promised blessings or promised life and will certainly be completed by God upon those who are pursuing. Instead of wasting our time with nonsense, do your spiritual disciplines. Amanatha. One hour ka na dyan sa cellphone mo eh. Nakayon mo na yan sa gilid. Umising ka nga ng maaga. Nag-Facebook ka naman dalawang oras. Let's not wasting our time with nonsense. Let's train ourselves for godliness. As a church, why don't we all walk together in the Word daily? By reading the Bible reading passage for the day. We will encourage our DCG leaders to spend time in your DCG to share about your learning from the reading of the week. We will encourage our DCG leaders to ask you the prayers you get out of these readings. We will encourage the DCG leaders to ask you, how, do you, how did you apply what you've learned from our readings this week? Let's encourage one another. Let's run together towards godliness. And let's not leave any one of us. If there are any of us who are weak, let's encourage them so we, they can run together with us. Godliness should be the pursuit of every good servant of Christ. Because unlike the teachings of this word, its completion is certain, its promises sure. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Cruciform Life Church Podcast. Check out more gospel-centered messages at www.cruciformlifechurch.org or subscribe to this podcast at Spotify.